MSW Media. This episode is supported by MixHers, a nutritional supplement that helps balance hormones. Get $5 off your first purchase at mixhers.com slash dailybeans and use code dailybeans. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Thursday, August 3rd, 2023. Today, the Tree of Life gunman has been sentenced to death for the 2008 shooting. Idaho medical professionals will be able to refer patients to out-of-state abortion service providers. Mike Pence, who thinks he actually has a shot at becoming president, has vowed to reinstate the military trans ban if elected. The judge assigned to Donald's third indictment trial has some history with the orange bag of bone spurs, and the New York AG says Trump fraud case is ready for trial. I'm your solo host today, Dana Goldberg. Hello, all my Beans listeners, my Leguminati. As you know, um, we have been teasing you all week about whether or not I would be flying solo on any of these recordings. Today's the day. Flying solo, I miss AG. Have no fear. She will be back in your ears tomorrow with a brand new show, so you'll be good to go there. Before we hit the hot notes, I just want to talk about a little bit of news that went under the radar with the announcement of Trump's third indictment yesterday, and that was from Brett Mizellis at MTN. And New York AG, Tish James, filed this massive, as we know, $250 million civil lawsuit back in September of 2022 against Donald the Trump organization, and three of his crotch fruit, as AG likes to call them. That's Ivanka, Eric, and Don Jr. And a New York appellate court, it dismissed the case against Ivanka at the end of June. Trump's legal team has repeatedly tried to dismiss the entire case denying claims of any wrongdoing. And of course, they're accusing New York Attorney General of being racist. And of course, I guess in this situation, would be (laughs) anti-racism, not reverse racism, which as we know, uh, is not a thing. And in addition to stating that she is ready for trial, Tish James, this new filing from her also states the following. There are no outstanding requests for discovery. There has been a reasonable opportunity to complete the foregoing proceedings. There has been compliance with any order issued to pre-calendar rules, and that's 22 New York CRR 202.12. And if a medical malpractice action, there has been compliance with any order pursuant to that same statute. So game on. Tish James is ready to go. We just didn't hear about it yesterday because, you know, he got his third indictment. So yeah, that's basically all the news we've gotten in the discussion. I have no one to talk to other than myself. So why put you through that? Let's just hit the hot notes. Hot notes. All right, everyone, there is content warning on this first story. And I wanted to start heavy just so that we don't have this be the last thing in your ears before we go to break. The gunman who stormed a synagogue in the heart of Pittsburgh's Jewish community and killed 11 worshipers, he's going to be sentenced to death for perpetrating the deadliest anti-Semitic attack in U.S. history. Now, the gunman who had spewed hatred of Jews and, and espoused white supremacist beliefs all over the internet before he methodically planned and carried out that 2018 massacre at the Tree of Life Synagogue, where members of three congregations, they had gathered for Sabbath worship and to study. Who's a truck driver from suburban Baldwin, also wounded two worshipers and five responding police officers that day. 
Now, the same federal jury that convicted the 50-year-old on 63 criminal counts recommended Wednesday that he be put to death for an attack whose impacts continue to reverberate nearly five years later. This is a judge, and the judge will formally impose the sentence later. Survivors, they testified about their own lasting pain in this trial. There was both an intense amount of physical and emotional pain, as you can imagine. And through it all, showed little reaction to the proceedings that would decide his fate. Typically looking down at papers or screens at the defense table, he actually told a psychiatrist that he thought the trial was helping to spread his anti-Semitic message. This guy is through and through. Now, this is, uh, was the first federal death sentence. This is interesting. Imposed during the presidency of Joe Biden. And when Joe ran in 2020, his campaign included a pledge to end capital punishment. Biden's Justice Department has placed a moratorium on federal executions and has declined to authorize the death penalty in hundreds of new cases where it could apply. But federal prosecutors said death was the appropriate punishment for citing the vulnerability of his mainly elderly victims and his hate-based targeting of religious community. Most victims' families said should die for his crimes. They're all in agreement here. Now, his lawyer never contested his guilt. They decided to focus their efforts on trying to actually save his life in this case. They presented evidence of a horrific childhood marked by trauma and neglect. And they also claimed had severe untreated mental illness, saying he killed out of a delusion belief that Jews were helping to cause a genocide of white people. Now, the defense argued schizophrenia and brain abnormalities made him more susceptible to being influenced by extremist content found online. Well, in testimony, the victim's family members described what took from them. This is a very emotional part of the, the case. And one of them said, my world has fallen apart. This is from Shireen Steen, Dan Steen's widow. So she told the jury and survivors and other affected by the attack will have another opportunity to address the court and the defendant himself when he is formally sentenced by the judge. The synagogue, by the way, has been closed since the shootings. The Tree of Life congregation, it's working on overhauled synagogue complex that would house a sanctuary, a museum, memorial, and a center for fighting anti-Semitism. So they're trying to find some collateral beauty in this horrific, horrific massacre. So thank you for letting me get through the first story. This next one is not any better for the trans community. This is from Alex Bollinger at the LGBTQ Nation. It seems the Republican presidential candidate, I find it hilarious that he calls himself Mike Pence. Well, not that he calls himself Mike Pence, but that he thinks he has a chance of winning the White House. This asshole says that if he does win the election, he's going to ban transgender people from serving in the military again. Now, Pence was speaking to reporters in Nevada, and it's an early primary state, when he said that it makes no sense to let transgender people serve in the military. Actually, Mike Pence, it does. And Donald Trump, as we know, he banned transgender people from serving the military via a tweet in 2017. And that was several months after entering the White House. And this is one of the many attacks from his administration on the LGBTQ plus community. So Pence himself, if you follow his political career, he has a long history of fighting against the rights of the LGBTQ community. And this goes back to his first successful congressional campaign when he promised basically to support redirecting HIV and AIDS funding to conversion therapy. And this has been documented. We know he's been a homophobe for his entire career. In 2018, as Trump's transgender military ban was being revised, Pence apparently was rumored to be its chief architect. And this is from several sources. That's what they told Slate at the time, that he, and I quote, played a leading role in the creation of this report. And that was a report written with the help from anti-transgender hate groups to justify the policy 
in a way that courts may approve of it. Now, another source told Think Progress that the report was a product of working group led by Pence in order to reach different conclusions, by the way, about the effects of allowing transgender people to serve openly in the military than the Pentagon had reached prior to that. So he's trying to come out and do his own little think tank saying the Pentagon is wrong with their research that they had done on transgender readiness for the military. Now, shortly after President Joe Biden took office in 2021, his administration lifted the transgender military ban. And that was a move Pence criticized in Nevada this past weekend. And I don't know if you're Camp Nevada or Nevada. I may go back and forth from each camp depending on how I'm feeling in the moment. Another quote from this story, he said, I believe it affects recruitment, citing absolutely no evidence, by the way. And he went on to say, I believe all this politically correct nonsense that's going on at the Pentagon is affecting recruitment in the United States military. We've got to get our military back to focusing on being the best trained and best prepared military in the world. Now, he was parroting a popular conservative talking point, by the way, that the military has become woke. Who does that sound like? Since Biden became president, even though many policies cited as proof of military wokeness, if you will, like allowing gay and bisexual people to serve in the military, are at least a decade old. This shit is old. Like, stop. Stop with this. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, he's similarly claimed that people are refusing to join the military because of said wokeness, which is bullshit. And when confronted with statistics showing that he was incorrect, which he is about a lot of things, DeSantis said that, and I quote, not everyone really knows what wokeness is. You, sir, have no idea what wokeness is. If you asked DeSantis to define this, he would look like he always does. And that looks like when they said aliens were real in Congress, I just have to assume that they are talking about DeSantis because apparently they're living amongst us just trying to fit in, which he doesn't do very well. In this story, we've got from the Des Moines Registry notes in this story that Pence has yet to secure a spot. I think this is the best part of the story, by the way. He hasn't even uh, uh, secured his spot at the first Republican debate, if they even have him, which requires candidates to have gotten contributions from at least 40,000 donors and individual donors, can't be the same one, and at least 1%, 1% support in three early state or national polls. He has not reached that yet. He said, we're closing in on it. Oh, we're closing in on it. I, I love the sad saying, oh, 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 I'm confident we'll be at this debate. Penn told, that's what he told reporters. He went on to say, I think we're maybe a couple weeks away based on the pace of things coming in. Well, everyone, Pence is currently getting 4.3% of the vote among Republican primary voters, and that's according to Real Clear Politics average polls. That's just one of them. Putting him in fourth place behind Trump, who is at 54%, I have no idea how that, that's, God, it's just ridiculous. DeSantis is only at 18%, and the hedge fund investor Ramaswamy is at almost 5%. So Pence is in fourth place with these, and he still thinks he's got a shot at becoming president. You don't. Now, moving out from Pence over to Ohio, this is a better story. I'm saving the two positive ones so that we have a little palate cleanse going into the good news. Now, a federal judge has ruled that it would violate Idaho's medical providers' free speech rights to sanction them for referring patients to out-of-state abortion services, rejecting the state's attorney general's interpretation of Idaho's abortion ban. Idaho's law, what it does is it makes it illegal to perform or attempt to perform an abortion, and that they're saying that's a crime punishable by two to five years in prison. It also makes it unlawful for healthcare professionals to assist in the provision or attempted provision of one, with the penalty being the suspension or loss of their medical license. This is serious. Well, Republican Idaho Attorney General Raul Labrador wrote a letter to a conservative lawmaker in March 
in which he opined that referred a patient to legal abortion services in other states would constitute assisting in an abortion or attempted abortion, and thus would require suspension of the health professional's license. Planned Parenthood and several medical providers, they actually sued last month, arguing such a restriction would violate their First Amendment right to free speech. This is such a good argument. Healthcare providers are not restricted from referring patients out of state for prenatal care or other treatment. This is what they noted. Medical professionals, and I quote, will be forced to choose between facing criminal penalties themselves and offering referrals and information about legal out-of-state medicinal services to their patients. That's from U.S. District Judge Belin Windmill. Windmill wrote in this order on Monday, went on to say, simply put, their speech will be chilled. This case is one of two targeting Idaho's strict abortion laws. A separate lawsuit challenges a new Idaho measure making it illegal to help minors get an abortion without parental consent. Now, attorneys general from 20 states filed a brief Tuesday urging the court to block this. And this is another quote, the Constitution protects the individual right to travel between states and Idaho's radical legislature cannot abolish that right. That's from Democratic Washington Attorney General Bob Ferguson. He said that in a statement. Even before the U.S. Supreme Court's Dobbs decision last year overturned the landmark abortion rights ruling in Roe v. Wade, some Idaho residents actually traveled to neighboring states for the procedure just because they had the closest clinic. Now, the following year, with abortion criminalized in Ohio, what it's done, its neighboring states saw a significant increase in abortions, including about 1,500 in Washington, more than 1,300 in Oregon, nearly 2,600 went to Nevada, and that's according to data from the Society of family planning. And this is a quote, providers shouldn't face the threat of punishment for helping their patients obtain the abortion care they need in states where abortion is legal. That's from Megan Burroughs. She's a staff attorney with the American Civil Liberties Union's Reproductive Freedom Project. Windmill's order, by the way, blocked the Office of Attorney General from enforcing Idaho's criminal abortion law as Labrador interpreted it. For technical and procedural reasons, he did not block the state boards of medicine and nursing from suspending the license of of providers who refer patients for abortions out of state or who prescribe abortion drugs for patients to pick up in another state. However, Colleen Smith, and Colleen is a participating attorney with ACLU of Idaho, she said plaintiffs were confident that the same rationale the judge applied to the attorney general's office should also apply to the board's. The boards have not indicated they intend to start suspending licenses of providers in such cases. And Bob McLaughlin, who is a public information officer with the Ohio Division of Occupational and Professional Licenses, said the Ohio Board of Medicine does not comment on pending litigation. So they are trying to block these in many states, and at least they're finding loopholes so that these women, non-binary people, and transgender men can get the abortion um, health care they need. So there is good news in that story. And for those of you following this third indictment and the judge that was assigned the case, more good news. This is from Kyle Cheney at Politico. Now, when Judge Tanya Chutkin presides over the new criminal case against Donald, this is not going to be the first time she's tangled with the former president and his lawyers. In fact, the U.S. District Judge, she's already dealt with the ex-president in one of the most significant legal blows of his lifetime, triggering perhaps the greatest deluge of evidence about his bid to subvert the 2020 election a scheme of which he now stands charged with serious crimes. So, the Obama-appointed judge ruled in fall of 2021 that the House January 6th Select Committee could access reams of Trump's White House files. 
And this is a ruling that was subsequently upheld by an appeals court and left undisturbed by the Supreme Court. Okay, so this has gone all the way up to the Supreme Court and they didn't want to touch it. That evidence, call logs, memos, internal strategy papers, and more from the desks of Trump's most trusted advisors, well, that became the backbone of the committee's evidence back with the January 6th committee, and it shaped much of the public's understanding of his effort to seize a second term if he didn't win. And he didn't win. Now, much of that evidence resurfaced Tuesday in the special counsel Jack Smith's four-count indictment of Trump, which referenced call logs and White House records that were already familiar to Americans who tracked the January 6th committee proceedings. Now, Chutkin was randomly selected. So we have to remember this because you know the right is going to fucking say this is rigged and that's a you know Obama-appointed judge. This was completely random, just like sometimes Trump gets Trump-appointed judges. So this was randomly selected Tuesday to preside over Trump's latest criminal case. It's his third in the last four months. Impressive, dude. Well done. And this is a quote from her. Presidents are not kings and plaintiff is not president. Boom. Chatkin wrote that in her two-year-old ruling, by the way, this was two years ago, a rebuke that is sure to echo as she prepares to preside over the newest criminal case against the current GOP frontrunner for his presidential nomination in 2024. Now, she has avoided some of the most pointed criticism of Trump that some of her other colleagues on the federal bench in D.C. have delivered as they've sentenced defendants who participated in the January 6th mob that attacked the Capitol as part of Trump's bid to remain in power. Judge Reggie Walton, for example, has called Trump a charlatan. Judge Amit Mehta said January 6th defendants were pawns of Trump and his allies. And Judge Amy Berman Jackson has chastised Republicans for refusing to level with Trump about the 2020 election. And this is a quote, it is not patriotism. It's not standing up for America to stand up for one man who knows full well that he lost instead of the Constitution he was trying to subvert. That's from Jackson. She wrote that in a sentencing last year. But Chutkin has delivered some of the harshest sentences to January 6th defendants and made her disgust and horror over the attack very, very clear, lamenting the prospect of renewed political violence in 2022 and noting that no one accused of orchestrating the effort to subvert the election has been held accountable. Okay, so this is back in 2021. This is a quote. You've married a very good point. This is what she told a January 6th rioter. His name is Robert Palmer at his December 2021 sentencing. And she went on to say that the people who exhorted you and encouraged you and rallied you to go take action and to fight, they have not been charged. She went on to say the issue of who has or has not been charged is not before me. I don't have any influence over that. And she went on to say, I have my opinions, but they are not relevant. Well, I'll tell you what, they are about to get really fucking relevant, which is awesome. (laughs) She went on to say the people who planned this and funded it and encouraged it haven't been charged. But that's not a reason for you to get a lowish sentence. That's what she said to the defendant and went on to say, I have to make it clear that the actions you engaged in cannot happen again. Every day we're hearing about reports of anti-democratic factions of people plotting violence, the potential threat of violence in 2024. Now, Chutkin has alluded more specifically to Trump in another January 6th sentences, including her first, by the way, and that was to a misdemeanor defendant, Carl Mazzocco. And who Chutkin said, and I quote, went to the Capitol in support of one man, not in support of our country. So I know that a lot of us are following us are happy where this case has landed. When the other case, the documents case went to Cannon down in Florida, we got a little nervous, but I still think justice is going to prevail there. But I'm glad that we were able to take a little bit of a deep breath with this case here. So those are the hot notes. 
As you know, if you're joining me right now, flying solo, but we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to come back with the good news. After these messages, we'll be right back. As women, we're no strangers to the ebbs and flows of hormones that accompany our monthly cycles and life stages. It can feel a little overwhelming sometimes. So I've been using supplements from MixHers. MixHers is a line of nutritional supplements crafted by women for women. Every product is 100% natural, gluten-free, and plant-based, all without a hint of sugar, artificial flavorings, or fillers. Made with uncompromising quality and your wellness in mind, these products adhere to the highest standards for purity and potency. They have a lot of great options, too. If you're not quite sure which MixHers product is the perfect fit, there's a quick quiz that will match you with supplements that align with your unique health and wellness objectives. I've been most impressed with the Her Thrive Supplement. It has specific ingredients to address hormone fluctuations that lead to a variety of menopause symptoms. This means it boosts both my energy and mood while helping me with my night sweats and hot flashes. On top of all that, it is seriously delicious. Having healthy options is important to me, and MixHers truly delivers. Whether you're seeking pre- or postnatal supplements, menopause support, or even a libido booster for sexual wellness, MixHers is the go-to source. They truly have the perfect supplement to enhance every woman's health. You've heard the buzz about MixHers, but this is your sign to give it a try. MixHers birthday sale is live. You can get 15% off site-wide. Plus, if you subscribe, you lock in that 15% discount for the lifetime of your subscription. Are you ready to take your hormone health seriously? Head to MixHers.com slash DailyBeans and use code DailyBeans for an additional $5 off your purchase of hormone-friendly, highly absorbable, delicious drink supplements. All right, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Who likes good news, everyone? Then good news, everyone. Good news, good news. Welcome back, everyone. And before I hit the good news, I just want to say if I was going a little quickly in the last segment, that was just nerves because I get them sometimes. You would think I stand in front of 4,000 people, tell jokes, I don't have them. But for some reason, when I take over Allison's baby, I get nervous. So if it was too fast, listen to it on half speed. I mean, I'll probably sound drunk, but really, who knows the difference at this point? (laughs) So if it was too quick, I apologize. I'm going to slow down in the good news stories. And speaking of good news, if you have any submissions, we've got good news, confessions, corrections, as we know, idioms of the world, assholes of the Senate. There are many misheard lyrics. We love those. AG and I love your whoopee stories. I like pictures of babies. You can save the frog orgies for Allison for when she comes back and make sure that you submit them to the podcast because we love hearing these. All right. First up, this is from Cliff in Miami, pronouns he and him. I didn't know Jack. That's what Cliff said. Went on to say, hello, beans, queens. I have an embarrassing lack of knowledge that I'd like to share with your audience. For the first 50 years of my life, I thought three Kennedys were assassinated. John, Jack, and Robert. Sadly, when I had to go to my husband's grandfather's hospice, the nurse yelled out, Jack, at Grandpa John. And when we got to the car, I asked my husband about Jack. Who's Jack? He told me that's the nickname for John. I was reminded that I didn't know it at all. So I don't know Jack. And actually, I think I just learned that today as well. So thank you very much, Cliff, for in Miami for that submission. I had no idea that was a nickname for John. Huh. The more you know. Q shooting star. All right, this next one is from I'm Shy, pronouns she and her. I feel like I'm reading, um, like, what are those uh, personal ads? I'm Shy. Okay, this is from I'm Shy, pronouns she and her. Hello, everyone. 
I want you to know about a woman named Caitlin Gooch. She lives in North Carolina and known as the black cowgirl on the socials. She brings literacy to her area's children while also teaching them about horses and other animals. She even has a miniature horse, he's not a pony, called Man Man, who she takes to schools and daycares. The children sometimes read to him. Be warned, sit down before looking at this picture because he's so cute, you might faint. I hope our community will boost her work. Check out The Black Cowgirl on socials. We'll include a link, by the way, to Saddle Up and Read.org in the show notes. So it's Saddle Up and Read. Literally, Saddle Up and Read, as in a book.org. And oh my God, this miniature horse, you are right, is fucking adorable. Oh, now I want to, I'm definitely following the black cowgirl on the socials. Oh my God. Well, I'm shy, anonymous. Thank you so much for this. Thanks for bringing it to our attention. All right. We're going from horses to bunnies. This is from Bunny, pronouns she and her. Beans Queens. I wanted to make a shout out to those who have or will be testifying in court against the former guy. I spent nearly eight hours in an unrelated federal trial, and the experience, including the media that followed, haunted me. To all those who find the courage to fulfill their civic duty by taking the stand, I hope you also have the courage to seek any support you may need to thrive after your valiant contribution towards pursuing justice. What an important submission. I also wanted to recommend the following doctoral dissertation, as there has been and will continue to be unfortunate but potentially devastating influx of media-related trauma due to the inflammatory reactionaries and political power and the vile behavior they encourage. And the doctorate's called The Traumatic Impact of Media Humiliation, Misinterpretation, and Victim Shaming on Narrative Identity and Well-Being. It's by Christine Marie. The link's going to be in the show notes, so you all can check this out, and I implore that you do. As trials ramp up, I feel a deep respect for all those who take on the weight of shouldering the cost of justice and democracy. For those who are doing their part, know that they are not alone as you carry that weight. For Pod Pet Tax, I offer my extremely pampered senior man cats, Aku, the Void, and Teru, the Tabby, who keep me company in my study as I work on my research and writing and are kind enough to share their home with their adoring human companions, my nesting partner and I. Thank you for all you do. And you know, I, I guess we should probably share a little bit more about photos. Um, so for those of you that can't see them, beautiful, beautiful tabby cat on a, like what looks like chairs, by the way, that up, were upholstered by the owner. They had to have been. These are fantastic. Gorgeous kitties. And there's a little black one in a kitty cage. These are the babies. They're the babies. And this miniature horse is absolutely adorable. I don't think it could be more than Let's see if that little girl is probably about three feet. There's no way this horse is more than three feet high, probably about two and a half feet. I mean, they're really, really cute. All right, we're moving on. Moving on to the next submission. This is from Anjima. No pronouns on Anjima. And there's also no pronunciation, so I really hope I'm giving that what it deserves. Warm hellos. I'm hoping some of your listeners could open their hearts and homes to three four-month-old kittens who've been fostering since their feral mother tossed them through a small hole in our attached garage at four weeks old. There were six originally. We've adopted out three, but we still have a darling little lady, Hassandra, and her brothers, Prince Edger, uh, excuse me, Edgar, my God, Dana, Prince Edgar and Ricky. We took their care very seriously and have poured hours of love and attention on them to provide some lucky persons with polite, affectionate, and well-adjusted companions. We plan to spay and neuter them as soon as possible, as well as get them vaccinated and dewormed. They each have a unique personality, so there's someone for every type of human. Ricky has loads of energy and likes physical play. Cassandra's a lap cat 
who enjoys her quiet cuddle time, though she can outrun and outjump Ricky. Good to know. Edgar is my little gentleman. He runs up or jumps onto my shoulders while I'm sitting on bed after first seeking consent. He then lands perfectly with no claws. (laughs) He gives my ear a little lick, then he lays out like a mink stole. He and his Sandra are my panthers. We should love to keep them with us, but we are already spoken for by two-year-old sister cats who are high-maintenance temperamentally and a part Maine Coon Casanova who adopted us when we moved here in October. We've also been feeding the kittens, presumed daddy, who is a young, handsome sweetheart. He was astray and has been maimed by something or someone prior to showing up on our porch, desperately asking for protection and care in around January. Ah, he's a good boy and just wants to be loved and accepted. He wants to love a family. He's very sweet with the kittens as they climb on him. We will deliver the kittens and or their dad to a loving home as far between Mountain View and Trinidad, California, or along the I-5 corridor. So there you go. You've got a kitten delivery service if you're looking interested in these little babies. Thank you for all you do. If you can help, check out the link in the show notes to connect with Anjama. And we'll have that link for you in the show notes if you would like to look at any of these baby kitties. Oh my goodness, they're adorable. They've got them staged in uh, a photo with an e-cigarette. I'm not not, uh, promoting that, but Ricky swears he was just holding the e-cig for a friend. And then Ricky's face says, I learned it from you, mom, okay? And then Hassandra's coat is silky as a bunny. She's a lap cat and loves to cuddle. If you want to calm girl. This is her. She's very smart and gets along with others. These little three kittens, two kittens, two kittens. If you're interested and you're in the California area, the notes, uh, the links in the show notes, and we will connect you with said caretaker right now. Okay. This is from Jake. This is so weird to do alone, everyone, by the way. I hope you're still listening to the good news. AG, I I know that you don't always get a co-host when I'm gone. I don't know if this is just as awkward for you. I feel like I'm doing podcast masturbation right now because I'm doing it alone, but you guys are all watching. All right. This is from Jake, pronouns he and him. Hello, queens of the beans and minstrels of the righteous rage. I love that. This is a shout out good news story. I joined a group of local dads a few years ago when we were just a few guys meeting for play dates with our kids and a night out with some guys once a month. Well, we have grown like crazy over the last years, thanks mainly to efforts of Sean, our main organizer and social media wizard. This year, we organized our first of many free dad hug booths at Tacoma Pride. Oh my God, I love you guys. There's mama bears and mama hugs, but we need dad hugs. We made custom shirts and 10 by four foot banner, which got covered in words of encouragement and support. We had nearly 40 dads and partners turning out to offer love and hugs to our LGBTQIA plus community. Now our banner of love hangs in the Rainbow Center, who plan our local pride in early July. Our efforts certainly didn't get unnoticed as well. We got mentioned in our local paper. I absolutely love this. The photos here, this banner is massive and says free dad hugs. We are proud of you. And it does have all these words of encouragement. And they've got these shirts made that have the trans pride flag on them. And says, I'm proud of you. Free dad hugs. Oh, your face. I don't know if this is you in this photo. Oh my God. So, so handsome. I'm loving this, Jake. Thank you so much. As always, there's just amazing, amazing listeners doing good things in the world. And uh, I thank you. I thank you for the submissions. I thank you for writing in the good news, especially when the news can be so tough for us lately. 
And uh, I'm not going to drag this on. AG's going to be back in your ears tomorrow. I will not be because I am going to see my girlfriend perform. Her name is Pink. I don't know if you guys realize that, but we are in a relationship and possibly a threesome with Brandy Carlisle, who's going to be opening for her in New York. So I am going to go to the concert. It's the one time I could see it. And so AG is letting me have a little vacation day and I'm going to take it with all my travels. But until then, as you know, please take care of yourselves, take care of the planet, take care of your mental health and take care of each other. I don't think that was in the right order, but you know to take care and that's what's important here. And as always, how am I going to do this by myself? Vote blue over Q and take everyone you know with you. That's it. My host is AG. She'll be back tomorrow. I'm DG. And them's The Beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants. And the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com. MSW Media. Hi, this is John Cryer, and I am hosting a new seven-part true crime podcast called Lawyers, Guns, and Money that'll challenge everything you think you know about U.S. covert operations and presidential misconduct. From Jack Bryan, the director of American PSYOP, comes the incredible true story of John Mattis, a newly sworn-in Miami public defender in the 1980s who has found himself completely in over his head. I step off the plane, and there is a van with a couple guys with Uzis. And one of them in broken English said, welcome to Bogota, John. Mattis's first felony defendant has been arrested for having a machine gun and tells Mattis a dangerous secret. He was shipping arms into Central America on behalf of the CIA. As a first-time lawyer, I want to act like I know what I'm doing. But with the help of a Colombian drug smuggler, how much money the CIA raised by hitting up drug dealers? A lot of money, millions of dollars. An Alabama mercenary. They were prepared to die to the last man. I saw this in them. I saw the fire in their eyes. And they made me their war chief. And a newly elected senator, John Kerry. We are looking at allegations of drug running, gun smuggling, conspiracy to commit murder and murder itself. He'll fight to free his client. The judge said, Show me, in a courtroom, how we were at war. Expose an illegal war being run by the White House. I mean, I wanted him involved, but I didn't want to be on record as doing it. And somehow stay alive in the process. I just escaped a kidnapping by the CIA in Costa Rica. This is Lawyers, Guns, and Money. So you have a man in Armani suit standing in the bow of a boat with a rocket launcher and says, if I lose sight of you, I will launch. You will be vaporized. Available everywhere starting October 29th, or get it ad-free and early starting October 22nd at lawyersgunsandmoney.supercast.com. There you'll find bonus episodes along with exclusive content. Subscribe now.